Hello and welcome to Chatting, a podcast where people chat about how they learn and use English. My name is Sam, I'm a CELTA teacher and a performer and I have a particular interest in pronunciation and expression. In each episode, non-native and native speakers will chat about their experiences with English, share their advice and, at the end, I'll give some pronunciation tips for you to take away and practice. So, ready? Let's get chatting. This episode, I'm chatting with Paddy. Paddy is an English language teacher from Bristol in the UK, who is now working in Poland. We met online, as we're in different countries, and there was a little bit of a delay, but hopefully I managed to edit the bad bits out. We chatted about teaching a bit of Bristolian, learning from your students and being on the other side as a total beginner. But I started by asking Paddy to tell me a little bit about himself. Uh, right, I'm Paddy. Um, I am from Bristol. I'm an EFL teacher. I've uh, been doing it for the last several years, I think seven, eight years, something like that. Um, and worked in Indonesia, East Timor, um, more exotically Bristol, um, and uh, now Poland. Um, so I've sort of been all over. Yeah, okay. So with working in different countries and from Bristol, how would you describe your English? Uh, Bristolian. <laughs> what does mostly. that mean? <laughs> it, um, so it's actually a bit of a hybrid because like, like I have moved around quite a lot, even as a kid. Um, but yeah, um, largely Bristolian. It means I've got, a, um, I've got a regional accent, not a very, very strong one, but um, but something that um, occasionally comes into play. Um, outside class, I speak fairly quickly, you know, normal kind of normal kind of pace of things and whatnot. Um, but yeah, in class, it's a bit, it, it, I'll admit it's a bit of a different animal. What sort of modifications do you think you make other than just the speed at which you speak? Yeah, I, so I'd like to say none at all, but I, I, I have a suspicion that pretty much every English teacher does it to some extent. I mean, you know, with beginners and, and elementary students, like lower level students, you have to grade your language, um, otherwise they're just not going to understand. But but actually, I, I, I'm, I'm completely aware of, um, of standardising my English a little bit in class, um, so I have to, because you know, I know you're not you're not supposed to do that, but like a, take just a normal word like house, um, which is easy for students to understand like that. But if I'm if I'm going, oh, you all see my ace, um, then <laughs> they don't get it. That's that's um, that's what I find is troublesome for them. So I definitely modify it. Definitely do. I'm very posh in class. Why do you think we modified so much? Would it be more honest to just go in and teach as authentically as we could be, or do you think we're just too aware of? the differences that we all sound like and we try and standardise it so students have a better chance to learn? Well, I think it has as much to do with um, as much to do with how we would interact with a non-native speaker, a, a second language English speaker, if we met them, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's, a, there's a kind of mutual responsibility there um, where they, they have to make, a, you know, in order to communicate, they have to make as much effort as they can to learn the language, understand the language, get across what they mean to you. Um, and you have to do the same, like you've got, you've got to accommodate. And, and I, th- I think that that's something that, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to see 
a lot of in societies in general. I'd like to, you know, it's, it's, it's something that should, I think, should be encouraged um, in British society. So it, it, I've, I've never really subscribed to the view that you should go in there and speak your most authentic English, because my most authentic English is, is, is absolutely appalling. Um, and, <laughs> Nobody should be subjected to that. And funny enough, I mean, in Bristol, I would make a point sometimes of teaching little, like, little tidbits of Bristolian. Such as? But, uh, such as, <laughs> all right, me babs, um, how best, uh, how beyond, um, have a good one, things like that, you know. Um, stuff they might actually hear. Have a good one is the thing that I genuinely say um, mm. and that they might hear in Bristol. So it, it definitely has some value, um, but I teach it discreetly. You know, not as a not not just sort of as an integrated part of my lessons. Ben, as you've been a teacher for a while, do you have any favourite parts of English that you like to teach? Um, I do love pron actually pronunciation. I do. I've, I've always been interested in phonology, which is a shame because it's sort of the most useless part. Actually, um, you know, I I I I love teaching it, and I'll take any excuse to do it, which again I shouldn't really do. But students enjoy it, I find. They tend to respond quite well to it and they, and, and they want to pronounce things properly. But I think it's important to get across to them that, A, they're never realistically going to speak like a native speaker. B, it's not necessary and, or in fact, and in fact shouldn't be desirable. Students should be, taught, should be encouraged to embrace whatever accent they happen to end up speaking English in, which is likely going to be sort of their accent. Interesting. Okay, then as an opposite to that question, then Paddy, is there anything that when it comes up, you think, oh, no? Um, honestly, I don't think I have anything that's that's like that. I, yeah, I, it, I, really, I guess maybe the, the only thing that, that I'm not a massive fan of is the kind of quiet time in class, you know, so if, um, if, if for whatever reason I, I have to give them something to read um, in, in the classroom, then it, it almost feel it almost seems a bit of a shame, and I know I know it's necessary. You know the same with writing. I know that sometimes it's necessary to do that, but but that stuff it's like, it's like dead air. You know, like I'm <laughs> sort of just sat there twiddling my thumbs, going like, somebody say something. So a paddy class is a dynamic class. Uh, lots of chat, yeah, yeah. Lots of lots of chat, lots of um, lots of noise, and and occasionally um, groans of despair. No, I can't imagine in your class groans of despair. Oh, I attempt to elicit them. Are there yeah. any topics that are off limits or is anything, is it anything goes in your class? Um, yeah, yeah it's, a, <clears throat> it's a good question. Right now I'm teaching one-to-one -one classes, which is interesting because frankly, you know, I'm not offended by things really. I mean, in, 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 as a teacher, what I'm after is getting people to you know, just getting people to, to communicate. And if they're communicating effectively, um, then that's, you know, that's as far as, as far as they're concerned, job well done. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, job well done for them as well. Um, so right now, no, but it, and, and actually in a, in a classroom with multiple learners, like a, a regular language classroom as well, I try to encourage as open a forum as possible. Um, so rather than shutting down a conversation, encouraging students to you know to discuss things reasonably to present different points of view um, I think that's one of the best things about a language cl classroom anyway so so I, I always just use them <laughs> if someone says something brings up a topic um, that is maybe not all that appropriate says something a little bit um, off color 
then what I'd, I'd, I'd usually like see them, <laughs> I'd usually ask someone who would present a reasonable angle on it and go, hmm, and what do you think about that? Um, so try not to shut it down. But occasionally you do have to, you do have to put, um, to put a stop to certain topics, but it's just a case of changing the topic, really. Have you ever brought up any con uh, conversations where it's fallen really on deaf ears? Um, yes. Definitely, many, many times. You know, I, I, I think that's that's something that happens to loads of teachers. I mean, I think mostly when when I had my first jobs abroad, um, and I tried to because I think I think of language learning as very much a kind of intercultural activity as much as anything, and I think that's got to go both ways. But that means that the you know you're often trying to bring in cultural elements to the um, to the topic and um, or the content which the students just have no have no experience of, have, have no contact with. I think in Indonesia, I think I tried to teach them about Bristol. I was like, yeah, you guys are going to love this. Bristol's really cool. It's the best city in the world. And they just sat there going, what's a Banksy? What do you mean a bridge? You, like, it's just a road that goes over a river, right? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So within all that then, Paddy, do you have any favourite levels that you like to teach? No. No, is it like, like I, I can answer that quickly because it's I've, I've been doing a lot of job interviews lately and and that question comes up a lot and and it's I really don't um, it's not really about levels I think um, you know each group is different each student is different I've, I've definitely had favourite classes no doubt about that but but not levels. Okay, well let's talk about you then, Paddy. What would you improve about your own English if you could? So anything to do with vocabulary or grammar, punctuation, pronunciation, anything that you would improve if you could? I mean, if I could improve my English, yeah, I'd love to be a total grammarian um, or some sort of lexicographer and just know absolutely everything about vocabulary or grammar. But realistically, that doesn't happen. You know, those people don't exist. Um, in, terms of, in terms of my English, I think it can always improve. You know, you can always learn new things. I, I learn new things from my students. I do. I, I had a student that described herself as sclerotic the other, the other day, and I was just like, what, you mean you have sclerosis? And um, and I never knew, I'd never known before that, that it could just mean very sort of staid and starchy and inflexible at work, but she meant it how it, how it, how it actually is meant, and she'd found that out and used it, which I thought was great. So, yeah, I mean, you can always learn more, but no, I, I don't sort of constantly uh, strive to improve my own English or anything. I'm too busy learning Polish. Aha, uh -huh. so you're now on the other side of it as a, a beginner learner? Oh, a total beginner, yeah. Now, as yeah. a total beginner, does that now make you think about how you approach total beginner English? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, it definitely does, although because I'm now teaching some of these students and um, and they're one-to-one -one beginner classes and I don't think that you teach one-to-one -one beginner classes without really really thinking about what you're doing all mm. the time um, but yeah it's great it is great to have that um, to get that little bit of um, I don't know extra empathy uh, for the people you're teaching because it's hard <laughs> it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. And how's it going? Uh, terribly, yeah, yeah making, <laughs> making loads and loads of mistakes, um, talking utter nonsense to people half the time. But yeah, do you get, but do you get nervous? I mean, do you do you get nervous trying to speak, or do you think oh, it doesn't matter? I'm just going to try. Oh, I get nervous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think everyone, I think everyone does, and I think like you know that's that's an important part of what you're talking about there, that kind of empathy, because um, it is nerve wracking um, for particularly I think adult beginners to um, to to walk into a language classroom. Um, and 
you know, you can grade your language all you like, but they don't understand the instructions you're giving them a lot of the time. Um, so there's a lot of non-verbal stuff anyway. And inevitably you're using language that, um, that, that they don't understand. It's, it's kind of impossible to avoid. That's the point. Don't know, they don't know any, any, any other language. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's really nerve wracking. I will, I will stand there repeating again and again and again the phrase I need to use when I go down the shop and ask for a bus ticket, you know, but equip myself with that and then go and use it. Yeah. And that's nerve wracking. It's always nerve wracking. Then you walk away and it's that tiny victory and you just go, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That feeling of success is really nice. Final question then, Paddy. What top tips do you have for a learner who's striking out learning English? So get as much practice in um, real context as you can. Um, you know, if you need to go and get something done, try not to just rely on your kind of um, your pointing and your body language and things like that. You know, learn what you need to say to ask the question that you need, because the feeling of achievement afterwards is great. And it really helps you to remember that sort of stuff. But there are loads of other ways to, to encounter language in, in authentic contexts. You know, I mean, I've, I've, I've had students who've learned incredible English from Netflix, you know, from online gaming, from YouTube um, and, th and things like this. It's not always communication with another person, although gaming is a bit that. And also just don't worry about making mistakes. When I was learning Indonesian, one of the best things that I ever heard was I met I met a guy who was a friend of a friend and uh, she was an English teacher. He was Indonesian and I was just starting out learning and I, I spoke to him and I, I, was, I was practicing with him. And, and the report that I got back via her, my, via my friend, um, was that I had been speaking to him in Indonesian. He hadn't really understood anything that I'd said, <laughs> but that I just carried on talking at him. Um, and I was dead proud of that because, you know, that was a really important part of my um, um, my progress in that language. Just went out there and made loads of mistakes. Fine. That's what and you here you are to tell the tales. It doesn't matter, does it? Take Paddy's advice and learn the words you need to ask your questions. Try not to use your hands or your facial expressions to get what you need. Each successful attempt is a great feeling. Also, remember to say, have a good un if you ever visit the city of Bristol. The local people will be very impressed. So this episode's pronunciation tip is based on Paddy's example of the word house. No, I'm not teaching you how to say it the way Paddy said it, but it does highlight a type of sound that learners find tricky. Diphthongs, or maybe you hear diphthongs. One vowel sound that sounds like a combination of two vowel sounds. The word house has the diphthong ow, and some learners find it difficult to make the difference between this sound and the sound o. So the difference between ow for pain, ow that hurt, or o for surprise, oh really? When two sounds are similar, we call them minimal pairs, two sounds with a small difference. So to help, I have three examples for you to practice. First, house, ow, home, o. Try this sentence. Making a house a home takes time. Next, now, ow, at this moment, and no, o, a negative response. Try this sentence. 
They said no now. Finally, bow, ow, the verb to bend forward to greet someone, and bow, o, a noun, for example, the long piece of wood with horsehair which you play a violin with. The same spelling, different pronunciation. Try this sentence. The violinist bows with his bow before playing. When practicing these sounds, notice how your mouth moves. The ow shape of your mouth should be a little wider than the o shape. In both cases, your lips might come forward at the end. Ow, o. Over to you to practice. So there we are. The transcript of this episode is available to read on the podcast's webpage, so take a look. Join me next time for more pronunciation and grammar tips, more advice, and most importantly, more chatting. My thanks again to Paddy and for her music. A massive thanks to the wonderful Mara Carlisle. Bye for now. Bye.